Welcome to the Red and White Authority. I'm Art Regner, and uh, this is episode nine, the Gordie Howe episode, as I like to say. And I cannot think of a better person to have on the Gordie Howe episode than Yuri Fisher. Uh, I've known Yuri forever, and he is now the director of player evaluation for the Red Wings. And when I think Yuri Fisher, I think three things, maybe four. Good young hockey player, obviously career cut short, vitamins, and player evaluation. And so it's great to have Yuri Fisher here uh, on the Red and White Authority. Yuri, thanks for doing this. Yeah, thanks Thanks for having me. Fun to be in Traverse City again. Yeah, now I know for the last, sev- I don't know, several years is correct, but you were the director of player development and you kind of ran, ran this camp. You have a new position now with the Red Wings. Can you explain what the director of player evaluation yeah, is? Yeah, so that started last summer, basically. I uh, transitioned. We felt as an organization that... Um, you know, recruiting and um, and obviously locating uh, free agent players first um, before we start the recruiting process is uh, is one way uh, to improve and uh, as an organization. And so, so uh, I uh, uh, transitioned from uh, player development of uh, watching our prospects, uh, working with our prospects, traveling around the world. And uh, spending time with our prospects and uh, uh, creating a network uh, of people that, uh, from coaches to strength coaches to uh, uh, mental coaches uh, to nutritionists, uh, so our pro- uh, our prospects would have a good environment to grow uh, wherever they would be, whether it's Sweden, whether it's North America, you know, whether it's Russia. And so um, last summer, uh, as we felt as an organization that. Um, you know, uh, do we have enough? Uh, do we have enough coverage watching uh, free agent players? Uh, uh, we certainly uh, watched uh, players for the draft, mm-hmm. and um, you know, which is obviously a different criteria uh, till certain age. And then uh, we're certainly watching uh, very heavy in pro, uh, NHL, and international tournaments, and uh, the American League, uh, as our pro scouting staff does. And then uh, there was a little bit of space in between. When the players uh, pass through the draft years, uh, they haven't been drafted. Uh, they go to college. Uh, they stay in Europe. You know, they may go uh, to juniors, and um, you know they're not quite uh, good enough for the high-level pro yet. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, can we find uh, a player that can improve our depth and uh, and make our organization better? So, uh, so last summer, uh, as I uh, uh, we sat down with Ken Holland and. Uh, you know, we talked uh, philosophies and futures, and uh, you know, the the position was created. And uh, basically, uh, to put it short, I um, I watch uh, all the players uh, that uh, don't belong to NHL organizations around the world, uh, North America and Europe, and uh, try to uh, try to really get to know them. Uh, there's every year going to be five to ten that uh, seem to be that they have a really uh, great future. And uh, then as an organization, uh, we obviously have to uh, also improve uh, on the recruiting process. So how is the evaluation done? I mean, you're going to these leagues all over the world. Uh, do you do it yourself or do you have, because uh, it, it sounds like it's a, a really an extension of player evaluation again. You're now, uh, you know, at one time they only drafted like basically Canadian players or something at the time. And then it went into the European uh, where the Red Wings were very influential. And now it really appears that there's a whole new avenue in this free agent thing that sounds 
rather new. I mean, is this uh, kind well, of there a have been uh, there have been f uh, few impact players uh, that have signed NHL contracts in the last uh, several years, and um, you know the New York Rangers have been. Uh, um, uh, very good at uh, recruiting and attracting uh, Kevin Hayes, who became the roster player right mm -hmm. away after he decommitted uh, uh, from uh, the rights from Chicago, uh, as he was drafted uh, by them before. Uh, same thing with Jimmy Vesey. Uh, mm -hmm. He uh, decommitted from Nashville. Uh, he also became um, a roster player right away uh, out of college. And uh, so we're looking at, uh, you know, how can we improve? How can we improve as an organization? from the American League level and on, and especially in Detroit. So, uh, you know, there are several players that we try to recruit. And uh, this year, uh, we ended up uh, signing Libor Sulak, uh, who was one of them, defenseman who is here in the camp. And, uh, you know, the plan is never uh, accumulate numbers, accumulate as many players as possible. Uh, we put a list together, and uh, we obviously go top to bottom. The list is very short. Um, you know, we'll go... Uh, to uh, we really follow uh, the 20 potential free agent uh, guys out of college, the five to 10 overage guys uh, out of juniors. And then uh, we have another list of about uh, 30 to 50 of uh, high-end uh, European players. Uh, you know, as an example of uh, how is Ilya uh, Kovalchuk doing? And uh, mm -hmm. you know, how is Vadim Shipachev uh, compared to uh, the NHL level that he ended up signing in Las Vegas two-year deal at 4.5 million. And you know, there's Yevgeny Dodonov uh, that, uh, uh, already played in North America, played in the NHL, uh, went back to Russia, uh, put in uh, a resume of several good years, and now he wanted to come back over. And so, you know, we, we really have to know everybody that's, uh, that's dominant uh, and doesn't belong to uh, any uh, NHL organization. And uh, if there is a fit uh, from uh, the player, the role, uh, and the money, then uh, we obviously try to recruit. I know this is a little bit different, but it sounds somewhat similar to the way Johan Franson, even though he was drafted by the Red Wings in the third round, which ended up in that draft year. I can't remember exactly off the top of my head what year that was, but he was the first player the Red Wings picked in that draft. Yeah, he was an overage player. He was playing in Sweden, but I'm not sure how old he was. I don't think he was 20. I think he might have been 23 or something when the Red Wings did uh, drafted him. So that's... Yeah, there is obviously doing? a criteria where uh, there is an age limit uh, where players have to go through the draft. Mm -hmm. uh, if they pass through the draft, then uh, they can be invited into a camp and they can be signed to an NHL contract. If that doesn't happen and they're under certain age, then they still the next year have to go through the uh, NHL draft and for uh, all the organizations to have uh, the second dibs. And if that doesn't happen, then potentially inviting him to camp. And, and then uh, at certain point, they outgrow uh, the uh, age criteria and the limit. So uh, they become free agents. And uh, you know, uh, one of the higher profile guys was uh, Spencer Fu this year mm -hmm. that uh, we obviously try to recruit. Uh, I, believe, uh, I believe that uh, he's gonna be a good player. Uh, he was uh, top two on our list, uh, ended up being top one, and um, you know he, he chose to go to Calgary. Uh, families from Edmonton, and they're uh, they're gonna drive three hours down uh, to watch him to Calgary. So uh, you know, a lot of lot, lots of things play a role. Uh, I think we present it uh, very well. I think we explain to him that uh, he could be a very important part of our organization, and you know, uh, then the players uh, they get to choose uh, when they're free agents uh, where they where they want to play. 
how do you keep it all straight? I mean, it just sounds like you're just ripping off players all the time. I are you, are you? Do you try to develop? Even though, so because they're unattached, I would imagine that you can develop a relationship from them immediately. There's no tampering, obviously, involved. It, it's it's crucial, and uh, there is a reason why uh, guys improve at later age. Um, and uh, become free agents that are heavily sought after. And uh, some guys, uh, you know, prime example uh, would be Danny DeKaiser. When mm -hmm. uh, when he played at Western Michigan, uh, he entered Western Michigan as uh, um, a very uh, thin, potential defensive type of uh, defenseman and uh, you know he goes through his freshman year and then uh, the second year um, he really his game starts to come together and his uh, his strength comes uh, comes together and he was the CCH uh, CCHA defenseman of the year and uh, he decides to go back to college and you know he repeats that he's the last one to really uh, have the back-to-back -back awards and um, so uh, I remember being at a game this is while I was still in uh, player development, and uh, I went to uh, watch him. Uh, it was a Tuesday evening uh, at uh, Western Michigan, and uh, there were three NHL GMs watching undrafted college player that looks like could be a potential prospect. And obviously now he's uh, he's a great player for us. So uh, you know we uh, we obviously try to uh, recruit only the very best and. Um, you know, if uh, if those guys choose to sign uh, with somebody else, then it's probably uh, not uh, it's it's probably not a good business decision to uh, sign somebody just to sign him if the best guys uh, are not available. So that's what we try to do. What's next for you? Where do you go from here? I mean, not in the organization. I mean, when, literally, when you leave Traverse City, are you off on a jet looking for more players, or is this kind of a downtime for you? So uh, we'll be heading back on the 11th, uh, basically at night. Um, and uh, as the as the camp uh, uh, starts to wind down and um, um, kind of get uh, my house situated uh, in Detroit, uh, get it ready for uh, for the second half of uh, July and uh, first part of August, when uh, I'm going to be heading to Czech Republic uh, and kind of set up a base of operation there. Start going to. Uh, uh, different tournaments and uh, you know by uh, August 20th uh, I'll uh, already watch uh, 25 games uh, from KHL to uh, Czech Elite League to uh, the Champions League uh, and the Hlinka tournament uh, the U18 uh, high-level national inter international competition and so basically uh, for the amateur scouts uh, the um, season starts uh, first week of August, and uh, the same goes for uh, for uh, watching free agents. So, so it sounds like you really don't have much downtime at all. I mean, leagues start at different times. I think I think that fans sometimes forget because they're so focused on the NHL that it's almost year-round hockey is being played somewhere in the world. Pretty much, and uh, and if not played, then certainly being practiced. It's uh, it's a twelve month uh, out of the year job, and uh, you know which that's what also makes it great. Uh, there's always uh, my downtime is at work, so when you know when I have nothing to do, I don't know what to do with myself. So uh, going to games, uh, you know, last year uh, or this season, I, I went to uh, 198 games, and uh, you know that's uh, it's uh, obviously. Uh, a uh, lot of days uh, at the rink, and uh, that's the fun part. So you base 
in North America, you're based in Detroit, but it sounds like, and I know you're you're from the Czech Republic, that you have a, a European home base, which is in the Czech Republic, or yeah, and uh, you know, it was uh, uh, when we were when we were looking to uh, really uh, get. Uh, uh, get a good feel for all the free agents in the world. Um, it was important that our European scouting department uh, um, has a great communication with the North American scouting department and uh, you know not uh, not all the scouts overlap going to Europe back and forth and uh, it's also very hard for pro scouts to fly to Europe and go watch one tournament and make uh, an evaluation and really have a strong opinion on a player. Um, they can now. It cannot be objective based on one tournament. So uh, my job, I uh, I flew to Europe seven times this past winter, and um, you know seven different trips. Watched a lot of different tournaments um, of the highest level, uh, from Swedish national team, Finnish national team, Russian national team, German national team, Czech national team, the Swiss, the Austrians, and on. And so. Uh, get to watch a lot of high-level hockey and then uh, by going back and forth frequently now uh, how do certain players from uh, Europe compare to guys in North America whether it's American League level or whether it's the NHL or how does uh, if uh, we have room to sign one free agent forward uh, as an example following summer so uh, I'll be watching uh, the guys in Europe I'll be watching guys in North America in college and and uh, over a junior and uh, how do they compare um, without having any direct competition. So uh, it's uh, obviously, uh, you know, n not exact science. Uh, there's a lot of projection that needs to take place. And uh, the most important thing is uh, to have a track record uh, of players that have made it and have not made it and um, uh, really build a book on comparables. The game is so global now, as we talked about, and I think that North Americans are starting to become more aware of the world championships that are played basically during playoff time in the NHL and the World Junior Tournaments where Team USA has started to really, uh, I'm not going to say dominate, but they've won some gold medals. And so uh, I guess my point being is, as I said, North Americans are, are, are well aware of that. And even though the European ice surface is bigger and larger than it is in North America, uh, have you seen a molding of the two games kind of come together, or is there still a distinction between a North American player, shall we say, and a European player? Well, uh, I would describe as in the past, North American game, Canadian particularly, offense starts with a shot. You take a shot at the net, there is a scramble, something's going on. In the neutral zone, you get it in, you try to get the puck, you try to create some sort of a cycle, and uh, you take a shot, and then you try to hammer it at the net. The European game, you enter the zone, you don't want to give up the puck, you really want to uh, pick and choose uh, how you structure your plays. So you wait for your options, and you know some guys get open, and, and you distribute the puck around and the European game used to end with the shot. Mm -hmm. So that's the difference. It's the mentality of now, obviously, there is uh, European concepts being applied in North America and there is North American concepts being applied in Europe. Why? There is a huge, basically, excitement about sharing information. That never existed before. I grew up in communism. There was no sharing information in communism. And so, you know, uh, it was very hard to, uh, for Canadian players to learn what the Russian 
Soviet environment was all about. Well, now there is no borders. And uh, now you can exchange information. Uh, a lot of stuff is in English. You got everything at your fingertips uh, over the internet. And, uh, you know, uh, organizations and uh, uh, different hockey cultures are open and welcoming representatives from different countries. As an example, Swedish uh, um, a national team, I think our Swedish developmental system has done the best job in uh, developing defensemen. And you look at their star defensemen at the NHL level, at the World Cup and at the World Championships, and uh, you know now everybody tries to learn from Sweden. Well, the same goes for Finland, where there's uh, these so many dominant goalies. And uh, right. so there's actually, uh, two years ago, there were representatives from uh, Hockey Canada. They were flying to Finland uh, and spend weeks at a time to learn and try to figure out like why uh, Finland is developing goalies better than maybe even Canada does. So um, there's a lot of sharing of information these days. Well, I realize that with the internet has changed everything, the fall of communism, the Berlin Wall, I mean, it's, it's a lot more open. <laughs> I, I, I completely understand that. But how instrumental were the Russian five to maybe bring over a the Russian or shall we say European concept where they were so good, they were so dominant that the NHL was almost forced to open up their eyes. Well, they were, and uh, and I think they were a key to the European uh, uh, style of hockey influence because they won. And uh, the, everybody copies the winner. The biggest problem is uh, bringing players uh, of different style of play over, and they lose. Well, then nobody copies the losers. The, the Russian five were so dominant, and they played the game different than anyone else. Well, they grew up in different environment. And I, I remember that uh, it was, uh, he was uh, obviously a dominant goalie back in the day, uh, uh, Treciak, uh, that uh, I talked to him. They, they used to train different. Uh, they, uh, you know, in order to keep the puck, they had to pass to somebody that they weren't looking at. They were forced in practice to look at a player and pass it to somebody else. And uh, wow. if they didn't, uh, they got punished. Uh, you can be looking at the person that you're passing it to because then everybody knows. So the deception that they had wasn't by accident. And uh, the same thing if, uh, you know, a simple philosophy of, uh, again, uh, part of why they were so good is uh, after every pass, they had to accelerate and jump into a hole to get open. Well, a lot of players, they pass and they stop skating. So, uh, you know, some of these little details, they need to be drilled into the player's game and into the player's mind constantly. And then, uh, you know, some of the very best put together, uh, it, it looked like an orchestra out there. Right. Well, it certainly did. It, it certainly, I, I can remember back it, back then, everyone saying it's almost like a ballet on ice, that the, the way that they controlled the game. Uh, I want to go back to your career, and I don't know if you were one of the first, but obviously being uh, from the Czech Republic, yet you chose to come over to North America and play junior hockey. Uh, was it a difficult transition? Why did you decide to do that when you could have obviously been in the Czech Republic and been a dominant player as well? Could have stayed and uh, this was in 1997 when I came over in the summer and uh, so I was 16 years old just about to turn 17 and um, back then the scouting uh, and the draft was becoming more and more prevalent in how many scouts 
were actually representing NHL organizations in Europe. Uh, I remember in Czech Republic, uh, there was uh, out of the 28 teams that existed at the time, uh, they, this was uh, just when Nashville was coming in, then uh, as an expansion team, then uh, uh, there was uh, only nine scouts that worked for NHL teams based in Czech Republic. Well, now every NHL team's got one. And, uh, you know, so I think uh, after talking uh, with my advisor at the time, um, get noticed. Uh, the only way to get noticed in European hockey back then was to do really well at the U18 European Championships because it wasn't the U18 World Championships. Right. Canada and U.S. wasn't part of it at the time yet. So, uh, it, obviously, all the uh, uh, all the uh, heads of uh, scouting departments from the NHL teams were part of it, uh, watching and evaluating. Well, what if you had a bad World Championships, or what if you got hurt right before and you had to play injured? And you know, so you you kind of try to uh, um, you want to do well and you want to make sure that uh, people notice. So that was the reason coming over here. And, and certainly you got noticed, drafted by the Red Wings. I mean, it couldn't, uh, you know, I, it paid off in your case. Absolutely. And uh, I, I never worked for anybody else. And uh, I'm still lucky and uh, fortunate enough to uh, work for the Illich family and work for Ken Holland and uh, have the wonderful mentors from Scotty Bowman, uh, Mike Babcock, uh, Jim Nill. And, uh, you know, wonderful, wonderful, successful people along with uh, the teammates that uh, obviously uh, – being part of some uh, pretty fun teams to play on. So, so Yuri, at this point, to, to kind of wrap this up, because I want to get it a little bit into the development camp, because you were, you know, a majority of these players very, very well, and, and get your thoughts about that. Uh, but at this point, hockey players can be found anywhere, and it almost sounds like it's your job to make sure that no stone is unturned. Uh, absolutely, and uh, the. We're not going to sign all the players. Uh, we really try to sign the best to uh, to uh, improve the depth of the talent in the organization, and uh, and then hopefully from within there's going to be so much competition that uh, players will improve. Um, now with uh, players being anywhere, absolutely true. Uh, great players are not everywhere. Uh, they may <laughs> come from uh, different places, but uh, the the one thing about great players is uh, they're, you know, they're not unknown. Uh, they're easy to pick out. So uh, now, as far as projection down the road, that really is uh, the key in evaluating players. Players that make it, regardless if they're North American or European or South America, anywhere, for wherever they are in the world, are there similar traits, regardless of what makes a great player? regardless of where they're from. Absolutely, they all have a specialty. They all are very mentally resilient. Uh, they all respond to challenge. Uh, challenge from a coach, challenge from being a healthy scratch, challenge from not being on the power play. Uh, the great players, they just want more. It's simple as that. They're extremely competitive and they back it up with action. They wanna do something about it. And uh, that is the key that we obviously look for can player overcome his deficiencies while he is being 
threatened of uh, losing ice time. Uh, there is an injury that comes. Uh, I'm in the slump. There is something going on off the ice uh, in social life, uh, whether it's breaking up with the girlfriend or death in the family. And so there's so many things that obviously play a role that goes way beyond nutrition and training. When you look at uh, the, uh, let's turn our attention. This is fascinating stuff. I mean, I and people that know me and know Yuri know that we could probably both sit here for about five or six hours and talk about this. But we're going to try to limit our time today. Uh, uh, this development camp, you're stressing off ice and on ice. You ran it. Sean Harkoff is now doing your old job, uh, and. Uh, I am curious, you're here, you're watching, what are your thoughts thus far as we hit day three of this five-day development camp? It's been very good. We, uh, we always look at uh, the camp as um, a tool to uh, invite players from our prospects to guys that uh, obviously have been signed to contract, have just been drafted or in recent few years, uh, guys that have been invited because uh, uh, we want to introduce our inter uh, organization to them and at the same time really get to know them. So uh, this is one week uh, that based on the collective bargaining agreement as an NHL organization, we can be in charge uh, of uh, our prospects' lives. Uh, in the off season for seven days, so pretty much every NHL organization has uh, come up with the concept of a development camp, and uh, we fly the players in, and uh, you know we have two teams. We got to play a little scrimmage today, so we got to see how everybody reacts to uh, a game. It's middle of the summer, but uh, at least uh, see how uh, you know guys react uh, outside of practice and an environment where obviously we play hockey uh, to play games and play important games so with that uh, let's get to know uh, the prospects all the players that are here let them get to know us and uh, also uh, make sure that when all the prospects leave individually they know where their game is at so give them some sort of a feedback right. evalu evaluation and uh, really make sure that they understand what they can be great at down the road and help them how to overcome their deficiencies. Anyone standing out to you? And I know this is an unfair question because, you know, they're, you know, kids mature at different times, as we all know, and they're all kind of amped up. And this is their first time at experiencing, you know, putting on the Red Wings sweater, shall we say. Uh, but have you, have you thought back to yourself, wow, someone keep, someone's got it right now. I mean, they understand it. Uh, they're doing well on the off-ice things. And, and, uh, and this scrimmage kind of proved to me Yuri Fisher, that this is a guy that has so a chance. So this this camp's been very unique. Where as look at uh, you look at the positional breakdown, we have six goalies here, and uh, then we have just about the equal number of defensemen as forwards, and mm -hmm. uh, that obviously sends a strong message that uh, uh, there is an opportunity uh, for defensemen, um, you know, to uh, make our organization better. And so uh, we've drafted, uh, we've invited, uh, and uh, we signed uh, free agent defensemen contract that we believe uh, can make our organization better and um, you know as far as uh, individually uh, players are sticking out uh, or not uh, our direct message is this is not an evaluation camp right uh, for it's unfair to the players this is an education camp so what we really try to do is get to know each player individually really know their strength really know their weakness give them a plan to improve both and then come back next year 
and make sure that we've succeeded. So that's the idea here. I know the Red Wings have stressed character. Tyler Wright, when we had him on the Red and White Authority, he was talking about it. I talked to Sean Horkorf about it. Obviously, Kenny Holland. Uh, I know, you know, I've known you, what seems like forever, but, you know, I've always known that you were a, a, a person of high character. Uh, how important is character and is it difficult to judge, especially what you have to do because you almost have to make a determination immediately if this person is the right character for this organization. You always look at character and performance in parallel. Performance is the key. The players have to perform at whatever role they have and uh, then the higher the character where everybody may have different uh, description of what character really means, the competitiveness, the overcoming problems, the figuring out how to improve, the being good uh, in the community, good locker room guy, uh, staying on time, being committed, dedicated, uh, the mentality of nothing ever being good enough and self-perfection. That's uh, All that is very important for the characteristic traits, uh, the consistency part of it. And it's rainy day outside, it's sunny day outside. Who cares? I'm playing hockey. It's not affecting me. I'm injured. I'm healthy. Who cares? I'm playing hockey. And so all that stuff is important, really self-perfection. That's what uh, we look at and now we put it into a team concept crucial. It is crucial and what I find interesting is as you said something about well we give them a plan and then next year we want to see what they did with that plan I would imagine so the guys that are here for the first time you're not sure until maybe you see them next year the guys that were here last year that are in their second camp have you seen them adhere to what you wanted them to do? Oh, absolutely and uh, and you'll start noticing that pretty much right away and uh, I always believed that superstars don't need a plan from someone else. They are so proud and they want to get so much better compared to everybody else, they figure out their own plan. And they just keep on grasping on every little thing that can improve their performance. That's the key. Vast majority of the players need to have their game, their lifestyle, uh, who they are put in perspective. And uh, not everybody sees themselves uh, the way they could really become at the NHL level. We always use examples, and Kirk Maltby was a 50-goal scorer in juniors, turned into one of the best grinders and checkers in the NHL. Um, there is guys that, uh, um, you know, I went through it personally, where, you know, win the scoring title as a defenseman in the Quebec uh, Junior League, and never been on the power play in Detroit. And uh, so there's, uh, there's obviously, uh, you know, uh, projections that the organization uh, uh, does. And uh, usually those are right decisions. Uh, I want to go back, you know, it's kind of a perfect segue because I, 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 I wanted to ask you, and we've discussed this many times over the years, and I've written about it. And out of everything that I've ever done, when I've written about uh, what happened to you that fateful night against Nashville on the bench uh, that people have always first question how is Yuri Fisher doing um, you weren't on the power play in Detroit because your career was cut short you would have been on the power play in Detroit I know that and you know that I know that you look forward you don't dwell on what happened but 
do do you ever really think about it, or are you just so focused on what you're doing now? As far as playing or not yeah, playing? playing or? Yeah, right. I mean, because you know, I mean, let's be let's be honest here. I mean, I I can remember when you were suspended for the the final the Stanley Cup final game against uh, Carolina, flying back on the plane. I don't know who you you, you clocked in the head or something with a stick, but yeah, I it was can a, it was a completely accidental cross check in the face. <laughs> right, 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 Tommy Westland. <laughs> yeah. I I actually told yeah, Scotty about yeah. this. I remember being out of the plane and you came up to me and you said, yeah. "Do you think I'm going to be suspended?" And I was trying to say no, but I'm thinking in the back of my head you're gonna have, you got a lot of hockey you're gonna play in Stanley Cup final games even if you miss this one and you were out on the ice when the when the, when the cup was there and all that kind of stuff but I mean is it uh, is it still something because you look like you could play right now well it's certainly fading away and uh, mm -hmm. you know 37 years old uh, in a couple weeks from now and uh, you know only couple couple of uh, months older than Henrik Zerberg, but uh, you know he is obviously a superstar, and uh, it's amazing what he's done. And uh, so, for me personally, um, it was very hard to leave the game early. Um, it was, uh, I was, uh, I was fighting it. Um, I think I can do this, but uh, I'm not clearing the physicals. What am I going to do, and how am I going to transition? It's crucial for anybody that goes through a life. And lifestyle altering event whether it's uh, a disease or whether it's cardiac arrest uh, something that uh, really changes your life and you can't do anything about it it's crucial to be around good people well the one thing and I don't mean to interrupt you but the one thing I've always found fascinating and when I've written about this and talked to people about you is that you traveled the world and went to cardiac symposiums and met with big-time doctors who thought you yourself, because you were so educated about it, that you were a doctor. And you know, they didn't know that you were a hockey player. They had no idea that you, know, you suffered a cardiac arrest on the bench or anything like that. Uh, have you ever, in your quest to find out exactly what happened, have you been able to find out what happened that night? Well, yes. Now, how to reverse, how to change it, how mm -hmm. to fix it, that's obviously the, uh, the big unknown. And, uh, you know, I do uh, annual physical, and, uh, which actually I did just a couple days ago, and, uh, you know, go through the EKG screening, and uh, I always get a little anxiety about that. Right. <laughs> you know, how is it going to look? How is it going to look, you know, when that <laughs> piece of paper gets spit out of the computer, and, you know, there, there, is, your, there is your EKG line there, and, uh, you know, it's the... There's uh, uh, abnormal, but uh, uh, abnormal no different than it was 15 years ago. Right, so, right. Uh, you know, first time I was diagnosed abnormal was uh, uh, in 2002 in the fall after we won uh, the first training camp, basically after we won the Stanley Cup. And, uh, you know, that was obviously um, uh, something that um, at the time uh, I probably didn't uh, give enough weight as the significance um, and what that could lead to and um, but you were young um, yeah and reckless and mm -hmm. uh, and hockey player mind and invincible and uh, right. all those things and so I, I, I certainly have different appreciation for uh, uh, how to live and uh, and uh, how to appreciate my kids on a daily basis and uh, spend time with people and uh, and go to work so now uh, you know, 12 years after my cardiac arrest, um, things are the same as uh, as before. So, uh, same is good for me. Well, you know, Yuri, I'll tell you. You know, we've been friends a long time.
I always enjoy talking to you, as you very well know, but uh, as far as what you have gone through and the way you have handled it and the way your life is today and now this position, the Director of Player Evaluation, uh, I couldn't be happier for you. I really couldn't be. Uh, I wish I could have seen you play in the red and white for 25 years because I think you could have done it, but you, you've always handled yourself with dignity and class, and I can't thank you enough for being on episode nine, an iconic number here in Detroit, obviously, uh, our guest on the Red and White Authority. Thank you very, very much. Thanks for having me.